Welcome to this week's Eccentric Minute, brought to you by Eccentric. Our first exercise here in the Eccentric Minute is the K-Box Squat. This is the granddaddy of all of them, guys. One that we use at all levels of our training with a vast array of athletes. A couple big tips. I like to use a, something for our hands to support it. Make sure that strap is completely taut to the top. Don't leave it short. Don't leave it long. What I really like the most about it, guys, the iso-inertial wheel, we're going to use this with other squats as well. The other squats are working to depth. These, we're going to get to an athletic position and work our way up. Push hard and make sure you're fighting to hit that breaking force. As we cut reps, we usually cut depth as well to make it a little bit more transferable to what we do. This is an awesome exercise that I can't recommend enough. Throw it in your training. It's going to be great for you and your athlete. I really hope you enjoyed this week's Eccentric Minute. Make sure you check them out at eccentric.com to find out everything you need about the K-Box and the K-Pulley. Being a strength and conditioning professional requires constant pursuit of better knowledge, better methods, and better means. But what if there was a place where strength and conditioning coaches could learn from some of the most innovative practitioners in the world, such as Jeff Moyer, Lachlan Wilmot, William Wayland, James the Thinker Smith, and Kirwenham Flat? Well, you can find multiple lectures from each of these top-level coaches and a few lectures and examples from yours truly as well, all in the Strength Coach Network. The Strength Coach Network is going to bring you well over 100 different lectures from some of the top practitioners in the world to be your one-stop shop for your continuing education and professional development. So hop on over to strengthcoachnetwork.com slash today and get your 48-hour trial for only a dollar. That's strengthcoachnetwork.com slash CVASPS to get your 48-hour trial for only a dollar. I look forward to seeing you in the Strength Coach Network. Bringing a new member in to, uh, to our little CVAS family. And I wasn't kidding, bro. You said, oh, shit. I was joking. Oh, my you God. I was joking. That. Let's get Look it. That. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, man. <laughs> Actually, that's why I was late. I'm getting on, and I'm like, where's the oh, shit? I left it upstairs. So I ran upstairs to grab the scarf. Had to get it. Yeah, oh, man. Yeah, you definitely weren't lying because you said, you know, big fan. I was like, you know, that's very unusual for uh, most Americans to say, like, hey, I'm, uh, I'm a fan of this and that soccer club. So that's pretty cool, man. Yeah, dude. You should... Well, listen, man, this, this is your first time being on one of our, one of our shows here. Introduce everybody to the Seabass fam here. So uh, I'm Yuri. Um... I'm from Amsterdam. I work as a uh, strength and conditioning uh, trainer within the uh, Ajax organization. So for people that don't know, which you probably won't, uh, Ajax is a, a soccer club based in Amsterdam. Uh, we became fourth at the Champions League last year. So that was very, very cool. It was awesome. Yep. Uh, I didn't work there then. I got there this year. Uh, so my first season so far has been very interesting. With a, uh, I mean, we haven't been canceled yet. So not that much about that. Um, other than that, I'm a uh, business background. I uh, got into strength and conditioning through, you know, pure passion to start off with, you know, just personal training. Uh, while I was still uh, doing my undergrad, got into strength and conditioning after personal training because my goal was always sports. I loved sports. Like, you know, there's nothing wrong with general preparation or physical preparation, but my love has always been sports and then primarily basketball. Um, Starting basketball, the basketball here is very, very small. You know, it's, it's not a big basketball country. We're tall, but we're not very athletic. So, you know, the, that's where the ball, that's where it stops. Um, 
so fortunately last year I got asked to, to work at Ajax, which is over here, basically the biggest sports uh, club organization in the country. So it's a huge honor uh, to be able to work there. And then I'm working with uh, fighters uh, still on the side, which is fantastic. It's, it's, a, it's a nice way to, to break up your week, to say the least. Yeah. Well, let, let's talk a little bit about, because at some point I might fanboy out with the Ajax stuff. But um, <laughs> let's, because you started with basketball. Yep. Your, your, main, your main thing with this is basketball. And, and yep. you post a lot of things that are unique to some people with basketball, more kind of selfishly kind of the things that we do, like uh, Verkashansky and, and those yep. sort of things. Yep. How'd you get into ball, especially over there? And, and what are some driving factors behind getting you into the physical preparation? Of it? So for me, uh, funny story. So I got into basketball when I was, I think, 11 or 12. I saw uh, an article in a, um, it wasn't a newspaper, and I remember it was about Shaq and Kobe. I just remember seeing a photo of Shaq and Kobe, and I was this super short. I was about 5'2", uh, white kid over here, and I just saw Shaq and Kobe, and I was like, that looks so amazing. I, I have to do whatever they're doing. So I got into basketball. I was terrible, just awful, uh, always the shortest kid, always the slowest. So then when I became 16, I hit the weight room for the first time, thinking, you know, I was trying to get better at basketball, thinking uh, – Hey, I averaged like five points a game. And I remember Brian Scalabrini averaged like three, so I can definitely make the NBA. That was my thought process back then. <laughs> Little did I know. Um, so I got into to, to training for myself, you know, the first couple of years was just finding those stuff out. It was the worst thing you could ever imagine. Uh, and then I started learning about, you know, I, I started to actually stress my body a little bit more in the, in the weight room. So I started doing heavy squats, started doing cleans, et cetera. And I stopped playing basketball when I was, I want to say 19, because I just figured out, you know, this isn't going to be it. Um, and then I kind of lost, lost my love for it. So I stopped playing basketball. And when I stopped, I could sometimes on a good day, dunk off one leg, sometimes. Stop playing basketball, just hit the weight room hard, big stressors, you know, back squats, cleans, whatever. Came back and all of a sudden I could jump off two feet and I could dunk whenever I wanted to. Me thinking at that time I had gotten the magic bullet or magic potion for whatever was physical preparation. So I felt I needed to share that with people. Little do I know now, or little did I know was that that was just, you know, them great old beginner games and it didn't work that fast after. Um, but yeah, that, that was kind of how it started. You know, I kind of had that own journey. Uh, it got me so much better to the point where I was like, I want to share this with other people. So I went into business. Uh, because I never saw sports as, as uh, having good of enough of a future. Um, so I went into business. During business school, I, you know, I was always in the weight room, always in the gym, uh, over here at the local gym. And uh, I would just start helping people uh, for no reason. Just if I saw something, I would try to correct them because I was just spending all the time. I wasn't doing study. I was just spending on YouTube looking at every single video you could find about, uh, about lifting. And... Uh, from there on, I, I asked one of the gym owners, just like, hey, can I do an unpaid internship? Like, you know, I don't care, but I feel like I, I, uh, I really love doing this. I love doing it way more than going to college. So can I start doing this? And he was like, you know, why the fuck not? So uh, that's kind of how it started. And from there, it just, it just evolved. Like I said, the passion's always been sports. So when I got into the, the, the general pop kind of work, I loved it. I loved helping people. 
But then when I had my first opportunity to work into sport, which was then back in basketball at a semi-professional club here in Amsterdam, um, when I got that opportunity, I was like, I immediately have to do it. And by, I mean, opportunity was head of strength and conditioning, aka unpaid internship, because <laughs> uh, that's the budget to what they're like. So I got back into sport within uh, uh, basketball immediately. So that was like perfect. I just made came full circle, found the love for basketball again. Uh, worked with the guys that I've always, you know, kind of meshed with best. So it's just a, it was a great transition from there. And then from there, I think that's now I want to say three years ago, my first opportunity in, in SNC, um, and it's just exploded ever since. I, I can't even keep up with uh, what's happened. So the transition is unique. You know, going from from basketball to football. Yep. Yep. For sure. And especially, not just unique, like in the sense of what we would consider unique, right? Like, oh, bioenergetic demands and, you know, this, that, and the other thing. Different dudes. Yep. Yep. How is that? So, uh, you know, I came in and I don't know. I want to say I'm starting to get to that phase where I, I think I know less than I know, like that kind of phase, because I had the phase in the beginning where everything was like, oh, I know everything and I got this and I'm the greatest coach on earth the first year or so. And then you get humbled. Um, and I guess I got humbled this past season going into football for the first time. And the reason for that was is I thought my major transition would be, you know, like you said, the little X's and O's of training athletes from a different sport, because that's what it had been. You know, I had gone from basketball, I had started working with fighters and that wasn't that much of a transition. I clicked with them pretty easily. And then when I got into to, to football, into soccer, it just changed. It, it, the kids are just different. And I was actually talking to a couple, a couple friends of mine who, who uh, played for that first basketball team that I worked for. And I said, the big difference is basketball players naturally have like this, you know, this uh, demeanor, like, you know, they're taller, they're bigger, people look up to them, they just have that kind of swag about them. Um, and they handle themselves in a certain way, generally very relaxed. Uh, and in, in football, it's, um, there's just a different way of handling things. You know, the, the players act different, uh, they might act a little bit more, um, what's the best way of saying this? they maybe try to puff themselves up a little bit more than a, than a basketball player would, where a basketball player would already kind of have that natural. That was kind of, kind of difficult for me in the beginning. And it just took some adjustments because my language just had to change. You know, I'd always use the basketball lingo, uh, lingo for everything, you know, just use the terms and they get it. I'd get them and it just works. Uh, and then you get to, to football and like, they just speak a totally different language. I didn't know the terms of their practices, you know, how they speak about all kinds of things, you know, but also just general life. If you were to have just a one-on-one -on -one conversation with somebody, they, they just handle themselves differently. And that just took some, uh, some learning for me. Um, I guess maybe the first half of the season and then slowly I started to get them. They started to get me a lot more. And I feel that once that happened, it just, then it became natural. So then take me into some things that you, you look at and you look for with the, with the guys in the side of Ajax, because I, I would assume, and I think we all make this assumption, and sometimes it could be incorrect, 
that this is a young squad that's yep. really talented, yep. really talented, that you would think has some level of preparedness. Yep. So, so the thing is, I got um, asked last year by my boss, who's head of strength, um, so I assist them with the first team and then I lead the, the development. So like basically the, the G league in, in soccer. Uh, so we also have a development team and those are like the 16 to 19 year olds, super young. It's an under 23 competition. So they play against grown men every time, but they're, you know, they're, they're super young themselves, uh, and generally underdeveloped because this, the football culture is not geared towards physical development more than they are geared towards technical and tactical, mm -hmm. which is why we are so incredibly good at the sport. Because if you want to be good at the sport, you got to practice the sport. And we excel in that here. So you have players that are 16 years old and they are maybe five foot six and 150 pounds soaking wet. And they are able to excel with the first team. Um, so then if you come into that organization and they aren't big on the weight room, you can't really blame them because they, from the very start have been conditioned, but I can already, you know, I can already beat these grown men and I'm not as big as them or as strong as them. So what's the reason for me to do this? While if you're, you know, if you play basketball or American football and you're 16 years old and you go against a 25 year old, you're, you're smart. exactly. <laughs> you need that physical, a physical aspect while in, in, in football or soccer, it's, um, the technical tactical aspect is maybe, maybe just a little bit more dominant. Um, but the difference between the first team and the developmental team, the first team definitely has a higher level of, uh, of technical, uh, capacity within the weight room. So you can load them a little bit more, but then the difference is they already have very high load on the field. So, you know, they might be able to do more. But it's, uh, on the other hand, you also have to pull back because the most important thing, again, is just going to be your technical tactical work. I don't care how important we think we are as strength and conditioning coaches. We are secondary. Technical mm -hmm. tactical will always be leading. Um, so, yeah, that's, 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 I guess, you know, from a, from a technique standpoint, for the, the second team, so the developmental team, there was definitely some steps to be made. But I think that's also the age because it's kind of like that last year of high school, first couple of years of college kind of age. I think that's where we should really try to focus on also getting them physically developed so that once they hit the first team, they at least have the minimal requirements for success from a physical preparation standpoint. And then we just try to maintain and hopefully get these little steps throughout their career instead of forcing too much onto them when they're already in the first team. How do you feel that the uniqueness of kind of the Dutch football model Right, that back? For a second. How do you yeah. the uniqueness of like the, the Dutch football model and the, the Ajax kind of model of total football kind of plays into that as well? Um, so the thing is the Ajax development. Uh, so for those who don't know, in, in European uh, football, it, it works that every team has their own uh, development academy. Um, so players come in from age eight or they might come in at age 16 and the goal is purely to get them to the first team as many players as possible. So it's a beautiful system. It's kind of maybe resembles a, a baseball a little bit more than, than basketball, for instance, but then it just starts at a super young age. And you see that we're actually very, very good at this because budget wise, 
IOPS isn't that high on the list if you were to compare us to some of these uh, Premier League teams, for instance. Yeah, yet like we still or Madrid or exactly. Yeah. Uh, yet we still compete with them, you know. And we knocked Madrid out of the the Champions League last year. So we are doing something very, very good in the development of players. Um, I think the basics are there for physical preparation, but I think we excel more at the technical tactical aspect. Um, and that makes sense because the game of football is way older than physical preparation. And especially at a, a, a well-developed developed model that really isn't that old, uh, especially in team sports. So it makes sense that they're much further ahead in that kind of work than in the physical preparation. And then, you know, just hope that you can slowly uh, uh, try to, you know, kind of bring your ways in there and try to not change things, but hopefully improve some things where possible. Yeah, man, no doubt. This is a great question from Taylor. What would uh, some of those minimal requirements look like for the 17 to 20 year olds? So we have a list. Um, I don't have by heart and I don't know how happy my science department would be if I share that. Um, but there's a list of requirements or basically what the average player for the first team scores on uh, things such as counter movement jump. Uh, RSI on five yard acceleration, 20 yard sprint, um, change direction drills, agility drills. There's just like a baseline for, okay, if you are in the first team, the likelihood that you're going to have these scores is such and such. So if you don't meet those demands, then there's maybe, you know, a, a bucket of physical development that we need to, uh, to achieve. Now, as far as within the weight room, there's not really standards because I don't care about them that much. Um, I don't care if an athlete is able to squat twice body weight or, you know, 1.5 times their body weight, et cetera, because I feel that everything we do in the weight room is just a means to an end. It's never the end. So I don't want to marry to any exercise. Um, of course, you know, stuff like isometric mid thigh pull, et cetera, as a base level strength could be very, very useful to use, um, before they get to the first team to see if they're ready for that, but we don't have the measurements from the first team. So then we can't say, oh, the guys need to have this when they get to that level. So we try to keep that as, as, as sports specific as possible, if you can even say that there, um, with our measurements. So whatever the first team average player has, that's what we're gonna try to get to, uh, because that to us is like our, our minimum uh, requirements. Because I remember I was watching the, the NFL draft combine, I think last year, or maybe it was this year even, I just watched that for fun. I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm the, you know, strength coach, you got to watch the combine, right? And uh, I think it was Michael Irvin, and he was talking about that there was no, to his notes, that there was no wide receiver in the Hall of Fame with a 40-yard dash faster than 4.4. So then to me, that's, you know, I've, I've, uh, I look highly to, uh, to Keir, Keir Wenham Flat, and he speaks about this pretty often too, is like, you have to, as a player, be a master in your sport. And you need to have a certain level of physical capabilities. So, for instance, if Michael Irvin says that all players or all Hall of Famers are slower than a 4-4, then why would I put so much energy in, you know, the adaptive energy into going from that 4-4 to a 4-3, while it is very, very, very unlikely that that is a distinguishing factor between the highest practitioners and the subtop? So then to me, it's like, okay, does that, you know, is that the most important thing for me to put my energy into? Or is it maybe something else? No, that's fair. And I think that that's something that we, 
we all kind of need to, to ask ourselves whenever we're putting together these things is, yep. you know, people like to say risk reward, but it's almost more like cost benefit, you know, because I think that, well, and then I would also almost say maybe, especially like in a game like football, where maybe it would be the opposite, right? Where like, if you got a guy who's like super shifty, maybe extensive jumps and building out change of direction work into even more constraints led as you move so they become even better at what they're the best at i mean it's not like it's going to make you or i messy yep you know um or if you're a big strong fast guy up top like a rooney was is it is that someone that you want to sit there and be like, we want to make you more agile and this and that, or are you more of at a point with some of these that are the elite of the elite of being like, yo, this is why you're legit. Yep. Let's make sure that that's consistently why. Yep. Instead exactly. of sitting here and wasting time on something that isn't going to help me. And that, that's, so that's again, where I look at, okay, I want a minimal requirement for all capacity. Like I like to use Stephen Curry for this as an example, you need to get him strong enough to be able to defend other players, you know, in the posts, for instance, but getting him super strong, getting him powerlifter strong, isn't going to make him a better basketball player. It's just not because that's not what he relies on. Now, does that mean that we don't do strength work or wouldn't do strength work with someone like him? Absolutely not. There's plenty of reasons to do so. But again, it's, it's the cost of investing time and adaptive energy into something where, you know, you have to choose, like, is what I'm doing right now really going to help them become better? Or is it just to show that maybe to the sport coaches, like, I'm doing my job because, look, these guys are getting stronger or faster, whatever metric you want to use. So that's why I think it's very important to, to have that kind of, you know, vision on how do you think you can actually help the player the most instead of maybe help yourself. Yeah. Now, one thing that we do with our guys that I think, I don't know if it's unique or kind of what people are moving towards now is starting to, to allow them autonomy in this entire process as well. How much of that, is involved with the guys with the developmental squad versus the full squad guys. Cause you've got to figure the younger kids need a little bit more guidance. Yeah. So it's uh, that's actually funny. Uh, that's, that's big for me. So when I uh, moved to Ajax, I came from my second basketball team and that was a professional team that played uh, European play. And those were all vets, all veteran guys. So what I did towards the end of the season, so we had, we had basically used, cause it was my first year, so I had just structured all the sessions um, until we got to roughly about three, four weeks before the playoffs. So right as we were ramping up for the playoffs. And the thing was, their budget wasn't big enough for me to be there at practices. So I could only be there at the weight room sessions. So I'd see them, but I wouldn't see how they were responding on court and what their fatigue levels were, et cetera, et cetera. So what was important for me is I basically gave them a framework 
And with that framework, they had the, the, the freedom to use any exercise within that framework that they wanted to do use. So for instance, uh, you know, we'd have the warm up together, we'd have our power development together, and then we get into strength, there'd be two or three blocks, you know, hinging, pulling, pushing, etc. Just the basic stuff. I'd give them their intensity guidelines, roughly, and then they could choose the exercises which they fought, thought at that time would be best for them. So I did that throughout the playoffs. And it was great because these guys were all old enough and smart enough and competent enough to movements that they could choose movements that fit them best, that made them feel good. And I had a lot of guys, you know, they were really happy with those six weeks because they felt like they were still getting it in. I could still see that they were working, but they weren't fatiguing. Well, if you sometimes prescribe too much, um, you know, all from your side, instead of letting them, you know, giving them some of the autonomy, sometimes some of the guys might not get what could be ideal for them, whether that's physically or mentally, it doesn't matter to me. So then I got to Ajax and I had the second team or the, the developmental team. And then we're talking 16 to 19 year old guys that if I were to give them autonomy, they'd walk away. You know, they just walk out the gym or they just have like, you know, 40 kilos on the bar, like, hey, coach, I'm good. Can I leave? Um, so with them, it was just a lot of structure, a lot of structure, a lot of structure. In the beginning, I didn't even offer any individualized programming at all. I just said, you have to do the, the team session, you know, just all technique work, just try to get a basic, you know, get them to understand progressive overload, you know, that kind of stuff. Um, and then you see with the first team, there's a lot more talking between the players and the coaches about, you know, what works best, maybe different times, maybe different approaches. Right. Because I, I think these experienced athletes, you have to meet halfway because they already have certain things developed. Uh, they're smart. They know their bodies better, not best, but they know it better. Um, and you want to meet them halfway because you also need them to buy into whatever you're doing. And there's so many people around them that want them to do something else. I think it's important to meet them halfway. So with, with the young guys, right? Because you said that kind of like most young talented pro footballers, you said that they kind of were allergic to the weight room. Yeah. Right? Yeah. They wanted nothing to do with it. Yeah. So how did you then, how did, what were some strategies you used to help negotiate that mindset? Is that the nice way of saying it? Yeah, I guess so. I, I, and again, I, I don't think there's anything wrong with them not enjoying the weight room when I come in. I can't blame them. It's not the culture. It's not what they're used to. You know, if you're, if you're a soccer player and you get sore legs, it, you know, it feels like the end of the world because what's the only thing you really need is you need touch and feel for the ball. That's the biggest thing for them. So I got it. Um, so what I did is I just try to make it fun competition. You know, uh, I would make, I would give them exercises that were very, very um, restricted as in what kind of, you know, the, the amount of faults that they could make while they're doing the movements. And then I would just put a tendo unit on it. I would put a gym aware unit on it, or I would uh, use certain plyometrics and have them, you know, jump onto a certain height box, uh, or I would give them anything that would kind of trigger their competitiveness because maybe athletes don't like the weight room, but athletes love competition. I, I, I you know, there's, I haven't seen a good athlete that's not competitive at all. Um, so that's kind of how I started doing it. And then for instance, I taught progressive overload through chin-ups. What I did is that we had a weekly competition for, um, 
for how many chin-ups everyone could do in three sets with body weight, then a little bit more, then a little bit more, a little bit more, a little bit more. And they'd every time we have a huge couple whiteboards in the weight room, they had to write down the total amount of reps. And then the one who has eyes, you know, took a selfie and had like a little crown on top of their name and that kind of stuff. And then they started to understand, you know, if I do this consistently and I go a little bit heavier every time, which is literally where they are in their physical development, it's just a basic progressive overload, we get stronger. And that, you know, the results they like, once they start seeing results, then, I mean, you know this as well as anybody, if they see results, athletes are going to listen to you. But in the beginning, you know, you need the buy-in to get them to do your work, to get them to even potentially have the results. So here's a great question. Um, and I'll chime in when you're done, because I've got a couple strategies too with this, but how do you give the young players that autonomy nowadays? For me, it is if an athlete, so if a player has proven to me that they um, listen and they use the information that I give them and work on something, then I will give them autonomy. So for instance, I got a couple kids that really, really wanted to do more specific work. Um, and so what I then basically tell them is, okay, you have to earn this. So if during the team sessions, I see them leading, I see them pulling other people with them. I see them bringing other players to the weight room. I see them doing everything to perfection, maybe even helping other guys with technique and stuff. If I start seeing that, I'm going to start helping them more. And once I start helping them more, basically for me, that means education. So I just try to educate on them on everything because the higher my athletes are educated, the more I can basically just walk away from the weight room, that's when I know I've done my job and they have the you know, autonomy because I can just leave. I, they shouldn't even need me anymore. If, if I'm there, then I'm happy. And based on how comfortable I feel going away from the weight room, you know, and let's say I got to go, go take, take a leak or something. Like if that happens and I feel comfortable walking away, then they've earned the autonomy and it doesn't really matter to me. Um, and that of course varies with a lot of players. Yeah, I agree with a lot of that. And I think, too, on top of that, the word I like to use is principles. And, like, if they understand what we're trying to do every day and what's important, yep. then I think that listening to them, especially because the younger people that I work in work with are swimmers, um, listening to them talk about when they can come to you and say – I need help in this part of my stroke. This is what I'm thinking. Well, then you now have a dialogue, right? Now you yep. have the opportunity to say, great idea. Or, you know, that's not a bad idea, but what do you think about this? And then you can go back and forth, you know, because then you can listen to them talk about how they actually perform and what they actually do and what's important to them and, you know, and those sort of things, you know, and it's, and then I think the other thing too, that comes with that is how do I know they're ready for autonomy? <laughs> this is going to sound kind of like I'm a jerk but when they don't, when they don't say something stupid, Yeah. you know, when they're not just like, when they don't say something and you don't look at them and go, what? <laughs> like, like if they can, even if they might be, mildly misled with their own thought as long as it's well thought out and it can lead to a discussion okay let's start letting you figure this out and build this for yourself like wait the other thing that we do i'm actually in the process of this right now is, is i talk with the 
the swimming teams and, and the, the guys that I get to work with at the school. And it's like every two to three weeks, it's like, what's working, what's not, how do you feel? You know, and I think that when you can establish those three things, then you can start building off for them. Um, with the Nova kids, the younger kids, it's more how'd the meat go? Okay, what do you think was good? What do you think was, wasn't good that we need to get better at? Okay, the things that you didn't think were that good, can I ask you a legitimate question? Do you think that matters? Like, if we fix that, are you going to swim faster or are we going to waste a lot of time? And some of them really think about it, you know? Like, yep. they really yep. sit there and are like, huh, you know? Yes, because of X. All right, well, then let's, what do we need to take out? to put things in, first of all. What, what what do you look at in the lift or the workout and you're like, that's stupid, you know? Yep. And then what can we do to add in that we think is gonna help that? Like, let's break what, down what that is and let's do exercises that can help it. Because really, like, at the end of the day, like, I could swim if I fell off a boat, but I... <laughs> Like I've coached two international gold medalists. Like I might not be able to run next to the pool as fast as they're going down and back in the water. So like for me to sit there and, and overly dictate and tell them what's right and wrong. I mean, outside of like some you know, knucklehead things um, is really asinine. And I think yeah. that like when you allow that and you kind of allow that vulnerability and, and you open up like that, like, I think it really helps. It makes it, honestly, it makes it a lot more work that's easy. Yep, exactly. And I mean, I think a, a big point there is investing into the players in that way, as in um, kind of maybe, maybe not the best way to say this, but trying to turn them into sort of coaches. You know, that, that's, that's kind of the point for me. It, it's, it costs a lot of energy. It costs a lot of energy, costs a lot of time, especially in the beginning. And a lot of times you're going to try to do it, at least for me, from my experience, I try to do this with players and it doesn't work. You know, they, they, just, they just won't give in or they just won't give me anything. Um, but sometimes for some of these guys, when they do, when they do kind of buy in and they start to understand that what I want to see is a critical way of thinking, once they start getting that, then it just becomes this beautiful relationship that's just set up for, for the future and not for something short term, because it becomes about discussions. And you, like you said, you start thinking it, or you start discussing about, you know, what's truly best for them, instead of you just telling them, you, I want to see X and O, and you have to execute it. And they just don't know why. They just don't know the reasoning behind it. So if you can get any step closer to that, I'd love to take that because I think that's a big thing. If, if I can guys can get guys sort of thinking like a coach, not entirely because I don't want any paralysis by analysis thing, which of course some athletes have too. Um, but if I can get them a little bit closer, I know that's just in the long run going to help me out so much. Yeah. Because at the end of the day, if the kid, the kids, not the things that are important, the kids are not going to tell you are stupid and that they shouldn't do. Yeah. Right. They may ask to do it a different way. Yeah. And typically if they ask to do it because of it, they ask to do it a different way, excuse me, it's because of discomfort. Yeah. Right? Like, Jay, I hate front squatting. Why? Because it hurts my shoulders. Okay. I'd really rather box squat. 
or back squat. Okay, well, I'd rather you front squat because of this, because you either don't get depth or your yeah. posture or whatever. Okay. Then I guess we'll go and we'll goblet squat with a weight vest. You know, like, yeah. and then they're like, cool, you know, like, or we can box squat so you learn how to do it and like take your time with it. You know, like understanding what we may know is best may not be best if they don't think so. Absolutely. That's, I mean, that, that's, that's the best way to put it. It's simply that if they don't believe in it, if they don't agree with what you're saying, I mean, you're, you're just running into a brick wall long run, I think. Mm -hmm. So if, if, you, if you can get a little bit more in line with them, and like you said, I mean, you give them something, you know, you go from a front squat to a goblet squat with a weight vest. Does that really change so much for us? It really doesn't. Only if you're married to an exercise is it going to change a lot. But for them, maybe that's a huge thing for you to say like, hey, I'm going to allow you this, which in return, they might do something else for you. Um, of course, knowing that some players are just going to try to push the line a little bit further yeah. and further every time. Well, but here's the thing too, right? At the end of the day, going back to basketball, right? If your point guard is like, dude, like I get squatting, but some of these other things, like I just don't get like, okay, well, what do you think you need to get better at? Well, I need to get faster. All right, well, what if we, instead of doing that stuff, we go out and we run hills and then we squat and then we call it a day. It's like you're getting way better neural work. You're getting good strength work out of sprints, especially running up hills. And then they're still doing the big box exercises that you want, and you're giving them what they want. Like, I'm <laughs> You know? <laughs> exactly. Who cares? But I mean, you know, it's, it's funny to me, like, as long as the exercise that we're doing, isn't what they're doing in sports, it is always just a means to an end. Like, for instance, I have a, a, a relatively large Olympic weightlifting background. Personally, I love Olympic weightlifting. I love doing it. Uh, you know, trying to trying to get my power clean to have as many people watch in the gym as possible has always been a goal of mine. Um, but I never use it with athletes. I just don't because I feel like we have tools that are easier to use in a team setting. But then I'll have some guys, basketball players that I work with over the summer that come back from college or, uh, you know, that have some kind of background in it and they want to do it. So with the others, I might be doing trap bar clean pulls or trap bar jumps or some other form of ballistic training that's a little bit more towards the load end of the spectrum. And then with these guys, I'm like, hey, great, you know, let's work on hang power cleans or, you know, snatches, split snatches, doesn't matter. Um, but it, it really, really, there isn't much of a difference to me. They're just all tools in a toolbox and just whatever you use, again, you just use a tool that fits the situation best. And if someone doesn't like really dislikes a certain exercise to the point where they start looking at it differently, I mean, it's just an exercise. It's funny to bring up Olympic lifting with basketball, too, because I had two guys one year that had to sit. One was a health thing. One was a transfer thing. Weird situation. But anyway, um, we were sitting there, and I'm like, you know, if we've got time, the one thing I always complain about with the lifts is I don't have time to teach it well. Yeah. Because it's like practice, especially in college basketball right now, they practice all the time. Well, not right now, but typically. And – twice two workouts like we were working on how to snatch 
and how to clean. And they both looked at me and they were like, are we going to waste this whole year trying to do this? Or are we going to be able to do something where we can actually lift weights and get stronger? And like the fact that I, now one of these, one of them isn't with programming anymore. The other one is probably one of the players I've become closest to in my 17 years here. But the fact that they feel comfortable enough to say that one yeah. was really awesome. But then like, to know that they're that dialed in and to be like, bro, like we don't like, we've got time. We don't got that much time. Like, is this the best thing we can do? Like, can we figure out a better way to get out of this, what we want? It's like, yeah. And like, one of them was like, in all seriousness, if we don't catch it, like, what if we just do pulls and presses? And I'm like, fuck, you should say that, you know? <laughs> and it's like, and that's what we did. And it was great. And it's just like, like we do, like, you know, people talk about it all the time. Like we get so invested in the movement and the exercise and what the words are on the sheet that the numbers and the production tend to become like tertiary to some people. Yeah. Like trap bar jumps have become sexy now, you know? Yep. But like at the end of the day, a six foot 11 guy, if they can do extensive jumps and you teach them how to jump intensively, and you could actually get them to do a real depth jump at 6'11", 260. With that weight? Yeah. That's a lot of momentum. That's, that's a pop, you yep. know? Like, yep. like what, are we, what are we really trying to do? Are we just trying to feed into garbage? Or are we going to let these kids be awesome, man? Yeah. And, that, and that's the thing, like, you know, if, again, if someone wants to do Olympic weightlifting for power development, be my guest. You know, I'll be super happy. Like, if a player comes up to me and, like, hey, Yuri, I really want to work on, uh, on, you know, getting my cleanup a little bit more. I got one player, for instance, you know, he had a double ACL. So just so much rehab time. He was like, I mean, I, for him also, it was a way to learn something and to work on something and feel like he's, he got better at something, which I understand after during a long rehab uh, phase. You know, if, if someone comes up to me like that, it's like, I want to develop my, my uh, power like this, fantastic. But if someone says, it doesn't feel comfortable catching, and I look at their front rack position, you know, they're either tight and they yeah. get the shoulder flexion or whatever it is, and you like a lot of extension in the wrist, and they're like, oh, it just doesn't feel comfortable. I'm like, why would I use this tool then? Mm -hmm. And, you know, same thing, like, for instance, some of the guys in season for basketball, I think we've spoken about this, like, I won't do many intensive jumps in season, not, you know, for one reason for, okay, you could look at total workload and maybe that's not the, the best thing you can do during that time because they're already being overloaded in that aspect. But also some players just don't like it. They just don't like the additional jumping because I think sometimes as strength coaches, we forget what it feels like to hit the weight room and then play a sport. And it can be really, really, really tough sometimes to wake up the next morning and have to do it again. Yep. So, you know, like you said, the autonomy thing is also there. It's, I, I think so. What I've done the past weeks is I've, I've, I've gone on a couple of calls like these with a, a couple of colleagues uh, that, you know, work in, in college in the NBA. And what I've found is that most of the dudes do this. You know, they all have their, their way of giving some autonomy to the players. And they all value the relationships that they develop with the players most. And 
sometimes we just look and we think that the X's and O's are everything, but eventually we're working with people and we have to find a way to motiv motivate them in the long run instead of just, you know, I, I open a book and it says, you know, weightlifting for power development is the most optimal way of doing things. Fantastic. But now you got to apply it to a real life situation. Right. So, no doubt, bro. No doubt. Yeah. Well, listen, homie, I appreciate you sticking around and, and rapping today, man. This is awesome. Yeah, for sure. Thank you. It's, uh, you know, I, I mean, uh, for the listeners out there, like you got to listen to this, like to, to your podcast. It's, I, I think literally, I'm pretty sure it was, I think it was you or Joel. I think you were the first one that I started listening to as a strength coach, you know, when I got into to Spotify and started listening on things while I was uh, on my commute to work. Um, so you've, you've just been a huge inspiration to me and I've learned so much from you and the guests you've had on. So well, thank you for having that, me on. Yeah, man. We'll be in touch too, bro. There's some more things I want to talk about later on, but sometimes sure. keep, I'm sharing a lot. There's some stuff I got to keep under my, under my sleeve too a little here. You know what I'm saying? So, uh, <laughs> but nah, man, stay safe over there, bro. Yep. Appreciate you. Cheers. We'll be in touch. Appreciate you. Appreciate you, man. Thank you. Yeah, man. Later.